What an amazing morning. And hasn't it been wonderful just to hear the public reading of the Scripture? And the Scripture just feeding our souls and washing our souls and bringing us uh, courage. The last few weeks, two weeks ago, Jockey preached and then I played a little bit of tandem with him and continued his theme. Can anybody remember what the theme was, what the Scripture was? that we have been preaching on for the last two weeks. We don't have any rights. We, the only right we have is to be a child of God. As many as received Him, He gave them the right to be children of God. And that is an incredible thing that we need to know. Because we are actually called into a battle. We're called into a, uh, into a war zone, as we've heard today. And we need to put on our full armor, the full armor of God. But we go out in the in the knowledge that we are children of God. And that's, uh, that is an amazing, amazing thing. So if you turn to your newsletters, sorry, I just need a newsletter. Uh, reading from uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 16, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are children of God. And then 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, No one speaking by the Spirit will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So there are two sides to a coin here. There's the first side is that you and I can call our Father, our Heavenly Father, we can call the Creator of the universe, we can call Him Abba Father. We can call Him Abba. We can cry out to Him, Daddy. Because we have received a spirit of adoption. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will show you today that you are a child of God. And so there's the one side of the coin that, that we can approach God with boldness. We can come and sit on His lap because He's, he's Abba, He's Daddy, He's our Father. There's an intimacy in that relationship. And then if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, what do we see? We see, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of, the, of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Jesus is Lord. I want you to give that declaration today. Jesus is Lord. With a bit more confidence that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of your life. And it's through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit bearing witness in our spirit, that we can say those things. Otherwise, we can't say those things. And so, the Holy Spirit working in your heart and working in my heart does two things. Does two things today. Two profound changes to our relationship with, with, with God. The one is a, a humble Submission to Jesus, the Son of God, 
as our Lord, as our Maker, that we are His subject, that, we are, that He is our ruler, that He is our sovereign, and we have no rights anymore. Absolutely no rights. We are now slaves to God. And then the other side of the coin is we can joyfully, boldly, with a childlike demeanor, with a, with, with a, a child, as a child comes in, when Nancy and Amy were, were young, they could run into my presence, they could run and jump into my arms, and I wouldn't scold them, I wouldn't say, no, you can't do it like that. It would be a joy for that. A joy for them to come in and, and sit on my lap. And so, a little takeaway, a small takeaway for, for today is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is, is uh, God is our Father. God is our Father. I want that to sink in. I've been... It's been about three weeks now since Jockey started preaching. I've been dwelling on this. I've been looking at the scriptures. I've been reading some of the history about all this, about all this stuff. So I'm going to read some more scripture. I'm going to read again, but I want to just read it from the beginning because Romans 8 is the most amazing scripture. In the, in the, in, I say that about probably every scripture, but Romans 8 is particularly good, and somebody has said it should be a, a book on its own. Just Romans 8. So then, brothers, reading from verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Quite harsh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by God, but if by the Spirit of you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we, how do we live? We put to death the deeds of the body, the body of sin in our lives. We put it to death. And how do we do that? Not by willpower, not by might, I'm going to do this. We do it by the Spirit. The Spirit in us, living in us, does that. And then there's a lovely verse. For all who are led by the Spirit are what? Are sons of God. Isn't that amazing? So if I'm led by the Spirit, if I'm walking in the Spirit and the Spirit is leading me, one of, the, one of the byproducts of that is that I'm a child of God. It shows that I'm a child of God if I'm being led by the Spirit, if I'm walking in the Spirit. And that I'm a, I'm, I'm a son of God. And he said, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, if you're the children, children of God, then what? Then you're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I always like to stop at that little, little juncture, but it goes on to say, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Sometimes when we walk with Jesus and we follow Jesus, we suffer with Him. And what's the consequence of our suffering with Jesus is that we are, we are glorified. That's what the, what the Word says, so that I, that I might be glorified with Him. 
So we are children of God. The reason the leading of the Spirit proves we are children of God is that it is the Spirit of adoption. And the Spirit of adoption, what does the Spirit of adoption come and do, for, do to us? It, uh, it just confirms that. I'm asking Holy Spirit to confirm in your hearts today that this issue will be once and for all dealt with. That you are a child of God as the Holy Spirit works in your heart and shows you the great transaction that took place when He adopted you and the cost of that adoption. It cost Him His life. He's, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that we might have eternal life. We might have the life of God living in us. Maybe this word adoption needs to be uh, unpacked a little bit. I'm going to try and unpack Unpack this word of adoption. It's an amazing word. I'm not sure if anybody here has been adopted. But it's a, it's a rich word. It's filled with love. It's filled with mercy. It's a word with, filled with grace. To give you a simple definition, adoption is a legal action whereby a person is taken into a family, usually not in any way related to him or her, and when taken into the family, he's given all the rights, all the rights and the privileges of that family. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to see those people who have adopted children. And they go to the hospital. I remember a long time ago, Paul and Ellison going to fetch Amber. And it was, they were given like, a, I think it was like about... 24 hours notice. It was almost like in the morning that you can collect, collect, you can collect your child in the, in the afternoon. She's up for adoption. She's, she's been born. And you can take her. And the excitement and the, uh, of that. And now she's part of that family. She's now an Alcock. She's taken on a new name. She's, she's Amber Alcock. This adoption thing is just so big. And we have a look at it in, in the scriptures. And uh, there's a few instances in the Old Testament. I, I just love the stories of, in the Old Testament because they're rich. And we see Moses. What happened to Moses? Well, he got put in a basket and floated down the river. And it was a Pharaoh's, one of the princesses, Pharaoh's daughter, came to bathe and saw this baby and had compassion on it. And asked, uh, I think it might have even been the mom or the baby's sister. It says the baby's sister uh, to, to look after her. And then at a certain time, the, Moses was brought back and became the prince of Egypt. He got a, he got a, a new name, meaning, uh, I think, what does it mean? I lifted him out of the water. And Moses was adopted into the Egyptian family because he had a task to fulfill. So one day he had to come and be the deliverer of, of God's people. And so he was adopted for a, for a purpose. And then if you have a look at the, another case of adoption, we see Esther. Esther in the, in, in the, scripture, in the scriptures uh, was adopted into Mordecai's family. Mordecai needed, was, was, was family and, and, and uh, had a responsibility to adopt her. And Esther's life changed the nation of Israel. And so God uses adopted people 
to do great things. You and I have been adopted. Isn't that amazing? You and I have been adopted into the family of God. So Moses was adopted out of compassion. Esther's adoption was out of responsibility. But there's another little story in the scripture which I love, and I've probably preached on it uh, a few times over the years. I love it. It's Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I even got the pronunciation right. I used to, I remember last time I preached, I just called him Mephib. Because, yeah, no, okay, we'll keep it at Mephib. And we see in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we see uh, just a little bit of a background story. Uh, David is now king, Saul is dead, and Jonathan is dead, and most of the family has been destroyed. The enemy's, enemy has been destroyed. And uh, this is Samuel, this is David saying, Don't be afraid. No. David said, are you, no, sorry, I've missed the scripture. Is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? He's asking the question, David. That's quite a fearsome uh, scripture if you uh, lived in those days. Because in those days, you had to wipe out the whole family. So if anybody was alive, that means they could come and usurp your throne and take over and, ta- and attack you. So that's the kind of context. But David, the heart of David, a man after God's own heart, is anyone in Saul's family still alive, anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Isn't that beautiful? He wants to show kindness. Why? Because he loved Jonathan. Because Jonathan and him were close. And we see the, the servant said, Yes, there is one. His name is Mephibosheth. And he lives in a place called Lodabar, which means barren barren land. So he has this insignificant man in an insignificant place. And, and, And remember the story, sorry, I probably should have read the whole story, but then we'll be here all day. He had, he was a cripple from when he was five. He had no use in his legs. So he was kind of insignificant. And so he calls Mephib to him, and he says, David says, Don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. That's the promise. He was probably, when he was called to the meeting, he was probably thinking, My days are numbered. In fact, my hours are numbered. My minutes are numbered. I'm going to lose my head. And suddenly yet, uh, um, David says, yeah, I'm going to give you all the lands. And he gives them a whole lot of servants and they, they, they provide for him and they look after him. And uh, in verse 11 it says, And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of his own sons. So he was adopted basically into the family of God. Isn't that good news for you and I? That it's not just the, the big shots, it's not just the Moses and the Esthers, but it's the, it's, it's the, it's the little people, the, the, the people that walk with a limp, the people that, 
uh, sometimes talk too fast and get their words all out wrong. David showed mercy to one who was, un- was unworthy. He was his enemy. He was his enemy. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And that's what God does for you, for you and I. Just think of Psalm 23. We come and, and, and sit, sit at a table prepared for us by the Lord. As his, as, as, his, as, his, as his son and his daughter, as we come and we sit and we can feast on the table, that's in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of war going around. That's the kind of picture that you, you and I have of, of children of, as being children of God. And Paul would have been using here in the, in, in the Scripture the, the fact that uh, he would be drawing on Roman culture. In the Roman culture, I want to read a bit, uh, I just got this from uh, William Barclay. In Roman culture, if a father looked over his children, particularly his sons, and he didn't see among the born sons that he brought into the world a son that he deemed to be worthy to inherit his name, his title, his offices, his estates, he would go outside and he would adopt a son from another family. And that adopted son would then take precedence over the natural sons. So it wasn't like we do it. When we do usually do adoption, we usually adopt children when they're very young. We adopt them. But here, in the Roman thing, they, they adopted when they, were, when they were quite old. It was to, you know, uh, these sons that I've had already, well, none of them can take over the estate, so they would, they would find somebody else to, to do that. It's quite, a, it's quite radical for, in our minds, if you think about that. But that's the culture of the day, and we get adopted like that. You and I have been chosen what to do. We have been chosen to bear the name of Jesus. We've been chosen to bear the name of God. We've been chosen to be adopted into His family. We've been chosen to inherit a kingdom, the kingdom of God. It wasn't easy in the Roman culture. So for the historians, the people who like a little bit of history, I'm just going to read a little bit more from uh, Barclay. It wasn't easy to adopt in their culture. This because they had a thing called patria potestas, which means the rule of the father. And as long as you were the son of your father or the daughter of your father, he had total control over you and your whole life until he died. And he could kill you if he wanted to kill you. Quite fierce. Glad we don't live in the... Or he's probably do. When we, when we see the, the scourge of abortion, we, we, we kill uh, babies. Not, they try and save fetuses, but it's babies. And so, he actually had control over everything about you. Anthony, I'm sorry, but with the new rule and regulation coming to our home, and I'm in charge now. (laughs) 
So if he wasn't, if you, if he wasn't satisfied with, 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 our, with our children, then we would go through an elaborate system called emancipatio, where they would attempt to emancipate one of the children from a patria postesis. That is the control of the other father. So I want to decide, I want to decide that Zuko is going to be uh, my new son. I've decided that I want him to be the heir of everything. Everything you're going to inherit, everything I have, you're going to, that, 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 everything that I am, my property, you, you're going to do that. If, if I make that decision, then this is the process I have to go to. Go to. I have to go, and it's called vindicatio, which is a courtroom procedure where the final legal status, uh, I would have to uh, negotiate with your father, because your father would have to give up his rights. And uh, sure, that's quite a process, and that's what would happen in those days. So in this adoption system, there were, there were four things that were, that, that were important in this. The first thing that happened was the adopted person lost all relationships to his previous family. Whew, this is heavier. Everything was gone and he gained all the rights of a new family. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. I think, I mean, all analogies and all pictures are, are, a little bit, are not complete because as believers, we don't lose our, our own families. They're still part of us. I know sometimes, you know, no, I won't go there. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we gain a new family. This is the family of God that meets, that we, we meet out together and we meet in small groups and we, and we are the family of God. We, we are, we are, we are, it's, it's a beautiful picture of salvation. The second thing that follows when we do this is we, we, the son would become, became heir to all the father's stuff, all the estate. The third thing that happened according to Roman law was the former life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. All legal debts were cancelled. Zuko, it's really good. Your, uh, your bond and your car repayments and any other things, they've, they've been cancelled now. And that's what happens when we, all our debts or our debt of sin gets cancelled. When we, when we get adopted into the, into the family, they get wiped out as though they had never existed. This is the gospel. This is good news. And the fourth thing was in the eyes of the law, the adopted In the, eyes of, in the eyes of the law, the adopted person was literally and absolutely the son of the new father. You have a new father. Absolutely. We have cut the cords with the past. We have become co-heirs with God's kingdoms. The old debts have been wiped out. In the eyes of the law, says he was absolutely the son of the new father. Roman history provides an outstanding case of how completely this was held to be true. The emperor Claudius adopted Nero in order that he might succeed him on the throne. They were not 
in any sense blood relation. It was a pretty poor choice he made in Nero. Claudius, Emperor Claudius, already had a daughter, Octavia. To cement the alliance, Nero wished to marry her. Nero and Octavia were in no sense blood relations, yet in the eyes of the law, they were brothers and sisters. And before they could marry, the Roman Senate had to pass special legislation that Octavia one of, one, of, uh, one of Claudius' uh, daughters could marry. They had to be like the highest court of the land. They had to be approved. And that's what we've done. We've been adopted. We are, we are now the children of God. But adoption, again, is, is an insufficient term, isn't it? Because adopted kids still have some of their old nature and they have to grow into, uh, yeah... And uh, so that's why what happens in, a, in, in our heavenly adoption goes far beyond an earthly adoption. We are also reborn. There's also a regeneration that takes place. There's also, I take on a new nature. And that is just so jolly exciting. And both are important. The adoption, I need to know, you need to know today that you're legally adopted. It had nothing to do with who you are. It had everything to do with what Christ paid for you. And he came and he chose you. He one day was, one day I was walking and I was, I actually, for me, I was sick in the, in the, at boarding school. And somebody came and shared the four spiritual laws, the Campus Crusade four spiritual laws. God came and met me when I was sick. Just flu. Just, he came and met, came and met me. I, I, he, he, I was going to say, I found Jesus, but that's not true. He found me. And I said yes to him. I said yes to him. And I became a child of God. I was adopted into his family. He gave me a new nature. And that's what we've been talking about. We are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. We have been, we've had this great exchange that's taken place. His, he's taken our sin and we've taken his righteousness. That's been imputed to us. It's been given to us. There's righteous Mike there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we do. We think we look around. He must be talking to somebody behind. But, but, but that's, that's who we are in Jesus. We take on his righteousness. And then we live from that. We live from that identity. Just looking at the time. And so, I love the, I love the scriptures. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. Whenever I see that word fear, I think last week we might have sung the song, we are no longer slaves to fear, but we, we are a child of God. We are, we are no longer slaves. Don't go back to that thing. Because slavery and, and fear has a thing of punishment and judgment and, and that's not, a, not, not who we are anymore. There is, now for, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. No condemnation on anyone here today. If you're a child of God, if you're walking with Jesus, there's no condemnation. 
And so we need to respond to who we are. The, the thing that the Holy Spirit shows, them, shows us, it shows us a few things, but it shows us that we are a child of God, no longer a slave. Somebody was asked uh, in, uh, in Vietnam when they were under communism uh, whether they enjoyed it. And they said no. But then they added, they have guns. So if you have the guns, you can enslave and create enough fear so there's external compliance. It's an external thing. The, the, the good news of, of, of the gospel, of the new covenant, is that Christ comes and lives in us. And so if, if, as adopted sons, we can... We can live a holy life. We can put to death the deeds of the body. We can put to, as we, as we know who we are and whose we are. There was a, somewhere at the end, we want to, in, during the worship, I want to love Jesus more. If you don't love Jesus more from after this, after what you've heard about who you are as a son and a, and a daughter in God, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but we should be. That's my, 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 my heart that we would love the Lord our God with all our soul, mind, and strength as we've, as we've understood of who He is and what He's done for us. And so He's brought us, the Holy Spirit has, has shown us today the fatherly love of God. And He's also, and I think Jockey's going to continue next week on uh, this, next, this next line about the other bringing our childlike affections to God. So the scripture in Romans says, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. As I see my Father, as I see my Heavenly Father, and how much He loves me and who He is, and I see not only that He's my Father, that He's my Lord and my Savior, and all those things, the response to that is, I understand how much He loves me, and I just have to. There's, I, I can't not but love Him. It's not something that I have to conjure up. It's something that's in my new nature. In my new nature, what the law couldn't do, Jesus did by putting it in our hearts. So, Jesus, so, so the Holy Spirit awakens our Christ-like affections for God. Where we cry, we cry, Abba. We cry. Children, I, I love children because they, particularly little ones, they've got, they, they, just, they just run. They just run. And they, they rush, run and jump onto the cliff. And, Daddy, I love you. Dad, Dad. There's, there's not this, there's not this like kind of fear. I'm, in, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And that's, when we understand His love, when we understand that he's, that, he's, that, he's, that he's for us and that He wants us to reflect His love and He wants us, he wants us to, to love Him. In fact, that's probably the most important thing that we, that we do is that we love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And out of that flows everything. Out of that flows everything. So the, the question we have to ask ourselves, those who've, who've been new in the Lord, are, are you often excited and and, and excited about what God has done. And us who've been walking with for 40 and 30 and 50 and 60 years, 
we kind of, kind of get a bit jaded. So I want you to know tonight, today, today, hey, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. It's been, the preach has been that long. <laughs> the testimony of the Spirit, okay, just one final thought. I've got so much, so much. We don't understand this, this stuff, this, this thing that God is our Father, that we cry out, Abba, our Father, by purely doctrinally getting it all correct. I thought of asking Alex to, Alex loves, loves the Scripture and loves the Word and loves that. I thought of asking Alex, uh, go and study on the Father. Go study in all the words and all that. Look at the meanings and the, and the nuances and go and what I've done a little bit here and try and get it, get it all out. And you might know it all in your head, but if it doesn't impact your heart, and that's where Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit comes and ignites that in our hearts. So it's a supernatural thing. It's, we need a spirit of revelation to understand all of this. All of this is relatively gobbledygook. Without the revelation of Holy Spirit. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord Jesus, pray after me. We thank you for the finished work on the cross. We thank you for that great transaction where we became children of God as we received Jesus. We thank you that not only are we your children, that we are loved dearly by you. And I ask, Lord, that I would bring glory to your name, that I would pursue you, that I would have a passion only for you, and so we ask, Lord, that you would do that. That we would become more like our Father, our Dad, Abba. That's what we want to be. We want to bring glory to your name in everything that we do. And we just thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for this wonderful joy that we are your children. Amen.